first slide. There we go. Um, encourage you guys to, to join us for that. It's, uh, again, starting May 24th, 6.30. It's going to be an hour, okay, um, just so you can plan. And uh, there is a cost to the book, a $16 donation. If you're able to do that, we would appreciate that. Um, thank you for your continued prayers for our roofing project. You guys see um, this building, like us, is a work in progress. Um, they have, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to Jim um, this morning about it, and we've prayed that there wouldn't be catastrophic things that they find, and I think they've replaced 18 sheets of metal now that we didn't anticipate. Well, we did. We knew there were problems, but what what's cool about that is, Nick is in here, um, this roof leaked when we bought the building. And every single year, Nick and I got up on the roof and patched. And part of the issues is they're tearing things off and they're finding uh, the, the rusted decking. And as there's a leak here and there's a hole in the decking back by Barbara, you know, this water actually ends up coming through down there. So Nick and I would get up there with food coloring and the different puddles to try to chase different leaks and stuff. So it's, it's a, really it's an answer to prayer, you know, that we're even able to do it. Um, we haven't raised all the funds yet, so we're going to sell the back three rows of chairs. It all belongs to the Lord. So now just keep praying for us on that. It's the Lord's building. He knows the needs on that. We're blessed um, what I was talking to Jim about is it's a cool thing to be at that place of our trust is not in a bank account, our trust is not in a loan. We are just every day trusting the Lord to continue his ministry here. Um, so continue with us in those prayers. Uh, it seemed like there was something else. Oh, yes. Would you do me a favor, please? And can we all check our cell phones and shut those off? Um, it's distracting. I know it's, you know, I'm whatever. A squirrel can go by and I'm somewhere else. Um, but it, believe me, it doesn't help uh, when I hear these things up here. So um, please put those on vibrate or, or shut them off if you're able to. And again, I want to welcome our ladies back. It was um, sparse here last week. I pray you were blessed at our ladies' conference last week down in Freeport. Again, to all our moms, happy Mother's Day. Um, I thought we had some Mother's Day mugs left over, um, but there's uh, those mugs in the back and there's pens on the table, so you can just write happy Mother's Day on those. Um, Proverbs 31, as actually there's a verse from Proverbs 31 that we had printed on our um, mugs from last year. And if you're familiar with Proverbs 31, and most of you ladies probably are, but it's, a, it's sayings of King Lemuel that were taught to him by his mom. And near the end of that proverb are these words. It says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. So we're blessed to have moms at OTCF that fit that description in our fellowship. And that now concludes our Mother's Day portion of our service today. So if you turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 7, we'll pick up where we left off. And let's pray. Father, we're grateful uh, for this place. Lord, uh, 
it's miraculous what you've done, Lord, in this facility, the children's ministry edition and the roof and all those things. Lord, it's a work in progress like us. But more miraculous, Lord, is the, the changes that you've made in us. Um, all of us, since you brought us in here as a family to gather together and learn more about you. Lord, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the, the healing that you've done in our families, the, the freedom from the bondages that we were in, and, and Lord, just the knowledge of your love, crazy love for us, Lord, that you first loved us is, is why we love you. So, Lord, would you speak to us today through your word, as you always do. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I've been blessed uh, with our journey through 2 Corinthians so far. I hope you guys have too. There's been some tough stuff that we've experienced, some challenging things as we've gone through the Word and allowed the Word to go through us. But the last couple of weeks, we've really been saturated in the Gospel. As Paul's reminding this church of the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and that, at least for me, has been refreshing going through those things. There aren't many among us this morning that I think enjoy confrontation. And don't worry, I'm not going to hammer on you. Um, Really, no matter what side of that exchange that you're on, when we have to confront someone, whether you're receiving it or you're the one actually having to do it, it's not pleasant. I've met a couple of people, a handful of people, Remember, I was in law enforcement for most of my life. That, that enjoy confrontation, um, and most of those people, the, the motivation in that is about self, about them, not um, the person that they're talking to. And the Bible gives us instructions about living at peace, right? Live at peace with all men, as much as as much as depends on you. Live at peace with all men especially the brotherhood. That's one of the things Paul addressed with his church in Corinth is divisions. Um, But there are times in life, you moms know this, that when we really care about somebody and we see them heading down a path that's going to destroy them, we need to intervene and um, confront I titled this morning's message, Confrontation Leading to Liberation, and I know there's a bunch of different definitions for liberation, so I want to show you this one from the Oxford Dictionary. Um, it says, liberation is the act of setting someone free from imprisonment, slavery, or oppression. The idea of being released, being made free. And there are times when confrontation must happen, If your child is going to touch a hot stove, that's kind of a classic uh, example. A confrontation may be necessary. If all um, all the traffic in front of you suddenly stops and your husband is gazing at the billboards across the freeway, I'm expecting an amen over here, it it might require a confrontation at least of his attention, right? Um, Part of discipleship, that thing that we're all called to, is showing, showing a younger brother or sister in Christ by living the life yourself. You know, the confrontation doesn't actually have to be words. It's them looking at your life can be a confrontation. 
Um, you can look to me and my life as an example or a model, you know, as you're learning what that means and, and what it looks like to be a Christian. We, we should be able to say that to others. And discipleship also sometimes means opening your mouth when you see sin in a brother or sister that is going to destroy them. You know, I think sometimes we look at some change and we let a lot of things go and sin is not cute. It's deadly. And it required Jesus dying a horrible death so that we could be free from the penalty of our sin in the bondage of sin now. So young Christians and old, you need to understand that in this world, spiritual warfare is a very real thing and you guys have an enemy that doesn't love you. You have an enemy that actually hates your guts. In John 10.10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. That thief being Satan. I have come that you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan is a thief that wants to rip you off and deceive you. And I want you to notice... um, Something I said it once already, but I want to make a point of it. Discipleship means opening your mouth when you see, if you can, yeah, see what? Sin. Discipleship means opening your mouth when you see sin in their lives that's going to destroy them. So I want you to see that it says, what does it say? Sin. Not slack, right? Um, not liberties, when you see a liberty in somebody else's life that you might not have in your life, it doesn't say, then it doesn't say when they're not following you, right? When they're failing to follow you. Um, Even when we can, if you're in a position in life, if you're in a position with your, your walk with Jesus where you can say, like Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ. The idea there is that they be like Jesus, right? Not like you, only like you in the ways that you're like Jesus. Does that make sense? No? I can say it all again. Let me back up. That's the idea of our lives, guys. That's the idea is we're discipling others that we want to point them to him. If, if you're a mom here this morning and the person next to you isn't getting it, when I say that makes sense, would you, would you elbow them or straighten them out? Give them, get them going for me. Um, I don't know how comfortable you guys feel if you've been in that spot and you've got to confront somebody. And there's an issue going on that's not healthy and you actually care about them. And you know where this path is going to lead. I don't think any of us do that gleefully. I don't know about you, but I, I get anxious when you have to do that. It puts a knot in your stomach when you really care how they're going to respond. If, it, like I said, I've been in law enforcement most of my life, and there's confrontations that need to happen, and I'm totally okay with that. But when it's somebody that you really love, a child or a friend or um, someone you care about, how you do that, and, and just even doing that, you're taking a major risk, but you're doing it for their sake. You're doing it for the sake of love. Um, and then if you're like me, um, you might play through different scenarios in your head of how that conversation might go and what their responses might be. 
Maybe ladies thought you were the only ones that did that, you know, role-playing conversations, and Nick taught me how to do it, and, you know, whatever. But we do that, and when we do that, probably 99% of those things never occur. You know, but it can, you can get worked up before you have to confront somebody. And even after a difficult conversation takes place, even if everything's perfect in that, and you sit down with them and you say, hey, we get we got to talk about some tough stuff here, and, and you express the reason is because you love them and you care about them. Maybe you've been down that same road yourself, and you've seen where that, that ends, and you can show them the scars of that in your own life or your own testimony. And it seems like everything is received. Even after that, you can, you can worry about what's the response going to be. You know, did they really hear me or were they just trying to get me out of their face? You know, am I, am I never going to see them again? So that's really where Paul is at with this church in Corinth. Um, Paul loves these guys. He really loves this church. Paul planted this church. If you remember the story, he went and he started it and he spent 18 months with them, pouring into them. And I can't can't imagine how much I would love you guys if I left after only 18 months. That was supposed to be funny. More so. We love you more so. Actually, we stay here because we love you guys. You know, but imagine that. This, this was Paul's heart for this church. He poured into them. He, he, he left nothing out of the word of God. And he cared about them. And if you haven't been with us for, I don't know, the last seven or eight months when we started the letter to the first Corinthians, and some of you guys are getting worried, I'm going to summarize both books. I won't do that. But Paul left the church in Corinth after spending almost two years with them. And, and he moved on to do other ministries, and he moved on to plant other churches, and his heart broke doing that. And he was concerned for their welfare. And if you guys remember when we were going through first Corinthians, I said a number of times that this is a corrective letter. Right? There were some nutty things going on in that church that, that had gotten back to Paul, that he heard about. The, the exercise of the gifts, you know, the spiritual gifts, and their worship services were chaotic and out of control and all kinds of crazy things going on. And Paul had to address that. And they were puffed up. That letter says that a number of times, meaning they were prideful, arrogant about who they were and how they practiced their religion and there was a, a guy among them that was deep in sexual immorality. Remember it said that he, he was with his father's wife. Um, and, and they were rejoicing about how loving they were and that, how accepting they were of all of that. And then mixed in there was bitterness and division and fighting among them and, and all these different things. And, and Paul addressed it in that first letter firmly and directly. He wasn't cruel to them, but he didn't beat around the bush either. He was straightforward. This is for your good, guys. You need to hear this and fix these things. And then um, Paul leaves, and there's there's a particular guy there. We actually read about him in this letter too that did not receive that correction well, and rebelled against it, and then began to spread dispersion in the church and cast doubt on Paul's um, authenticity as an apostle. 
and the motives in his ministry. And, and if you remember, he was collecting this, this large offering for the church, in Rome, or the church in Jerusalem that was experiencing financial stress and offered to take people from those churches that were giving with him. So there was full accountability in that, but they were making accusations against that. And there was this stirring up against Paul. And, and we read that he made this quick, unexpected, sorrowful visit to kind of check it out for himself and assess the situation, see if these things that he was hearing was true, see if that first letter wasn't received. And when he saw it with his own eyes, his heart was broken. And, and he left and he returns back down to Ephesus and then he writes a second letter. Not, not this letter that we have in our Bibles labeled 2 Corinthians, but he wrote a second letter um, that has since been lost. But we know from the scriptures that we read the description that that letter was short and it was sorrowful and it was painful. Painful, painful for Paul to write and, and hard for them to receive. And he didn't, didn't send it like we see some of here defending his ministry, any of that. It was to confront head on the sin in the camp so it wouldn't destroy them. And his love for them is what compelled them to do it, not his hurt feelings or that they weren't receiving him or doubting his status as an apostle or any of those things, but he loved them. So his letter called for their repentance and it also called for them to discipline this rebellious brother among them and stop the bleeding, stop the damage that was being caused by his uh, division. Paul gave this letter to a brother named Titus. We'll read about him today. Um, gives this letter to Titus to deliver to the church and, and had that anxiety about how is it going to be received? How are they going to respond? They didn't like the first one, and this one's a, a hammer. And he gives it to Titus, and Titus takes it to the church, hoping and praying that they would receive his rebuke and repent and get themselves back on track with God. So by the time we get to this book that's labeled 2 Corinthians in our Bible, um, we know that um, Paul's waiting to find out the response. And his heart is hurting, and, and he wants to know, and, and time has gone by, and, and have they received it yet? How did they, how did they respond? And um, he's waiting anxiously to find out how the church in Corinth is doing, but Paul's continuing to, to work and do the ministry he's called to. He actually leaves Ephesus and heads up into the uh, peninsula, heads northwest and crosses the sea, and goes up into Mesopotamia or uh, Macedonia. And Titus, in the meantime, delivers the letter, um, sees the response in Corinth, and then he heads north with the idea of uh, going to Macedonia and connecting with Paul, and he eventually does. We don't know from the scriptures if that happens in Philippi or Thessalonica, but in that area. So they, re they, they meet up, and Paul gets this good news from Titus of the response of the church in Corinth. So the first seven chapters, to catch you up in a really long-winded catch-up, uh, is, is they're joyful. The first seven chapters of this book are joyful. And this morning, 
Paul's acknowledging, hey guys, this was a really tough confrontation. I said some hard things that I needed you to hear, and I know it was painful, but that confrontation resulted in something good. That confrontation resulted in liberation and freedom and change in your lives. So let's, let's look at it together, starting in verse 2. We covered first 1 from our text last week. So 2 Corinthians 7, verse 2 says, Open your hearts to us. You know, he talked about closing their hearts to the world, not being a part of that whole system. And he's like, guys, we, we love you. Um, don't, don't leave this barrier between you and us. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. Verse 3, I do not say this to condemn, for I have said it before, that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Remember, I, I mentioned Paul was involved in collecting this large offering for Jerusalem because that church was suffering, and that was among the allegations. And, and he's addressing, trying to be delicate here as he's talking to them now after that painful letter, when it, and he says, I don't condemn you. There's a big difference between confrontation and condemnation. Now, it doesn't always feel like it when you're on the receiving end of that, but condemnation does not come from God. You know, Paul, in his loving response to this church, corrects some things. And, and he says, guys, open your hearts to us. Verse 4 says, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I've been, I've been bragging about you guys. Okay, I love you guys. And, and, and my hope is that you would receive this. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. And that is a a picture of ministry, oftentimes, right? You're trying to serve the Lord and lay down your life for the Lord, and outside, there's conflicts, there's opposition. And for Paul, it wasn't just outside, right? It was in this church, and he's trying to trying to do the right thing and actually serve the people and love them. And he says, inside were fears. You know, it made me anxious and it hurt my guts worrying about the response of how this was going to be. I, I got an email from a, a, another Calvary pastor this weekend and he was talking about um, the experience of preaching and what you go through and your preparation and delivery and warfare going on and, and all of those things. And he said, it's like giving birth on Sunday and waking up Monday morning and finding out you're still pregnant. You know, just <laughs> repeating that process. And that's, that's what I read when I hear this description from Paul. He's like, I, I, there's conflict everywhere. You know, and inside there's, there's fears and doubts and all these things. And, but then he says in verse 6, nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. I want you to remember that. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. The news he brought, certainly, but also Titus's presence. And he says, and not only by his coming, verse 7, but also, verse 7, please, um, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So again, Paul's expressing his love for this church, um, that he brags about them, that he's filled with, with comfort, that he's joyful in tribulation. I don't know how many of us can say that 
that we're joyful in tribulation. I mean, we pray the tribulation will go away. You know, I think it's powerful if we pray, Lord, give us the strength to endure the tribulation. But I think that's most of us Stoic Mainers' thoughts on that. If we're in a trial, if we're in a tribulation, we need to just bite the leather strap and tough it out and endure. And, and Paul says, no, there's actually even more than that available through the Lord. That you can be joyful during those times. That you can know who's in control. So we are comforted in you, he says. Um, Paul experienced that comfort through Titus and the news that he brought from Corinth. He experienced the comfort of God through the fellowship that he received with another Christian. Some of us, some of you, some of us have a tendency to isolate when we're hurt or when things don't go the way that we think they should or the music is too loud or the music is too soft or it's too hot in here or the chairs are the wrong color or whatever. I'm, of course, just making up those examples. Um, (laughs) Those of you that do that, those of you that isolate, need to know that very often when we turn away from people, when we separate ourselves from other Christians, we turn away from the very comfort that God wants to give to us. And very often when we turn away from people, we turn away from opportunities where God wants to use us to comfort or encourage or strengthen other people. And they're getting ripped off. I don't say this to condemn, like Paul said. I I say it to encourage you guys. Actually, you have no idea. I'll tell you, just this weekend, I got to be involved in a really cool wedding yesterday down in Machias. Um, Aaron Dudley and I conducted the wedding. Who else? Oh, Hope was there. Um, Hope Hope he got married. Um, But hearing the testimonies of others there, others involved in ministry and just others... You know, things going on in their life was a real encouragement to me. You know, seeing how the Lord's working in people's lives. And I say this, this idea of not isolating, not separating yourself, that, that not only might you be the one that encourages somebody, but maybe you'll get what you actually need. Maybe the answer, the thing that you want, that you're running away from, is, is what God desired to use to keep you going, to encourage you, to strengthen you. Um, God may want to use you in a bigger way than you're able to see right now. Especially if you're wounded or hurting or angry or bitter. Nice segue to joining a growth group. You know, in in a growth group, you could be the exact encouragement that somebody else needs at the exact right time. That person sitting on the other side of the living room. So don't rip them off. I encourage you guys to participate in that. Verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter. Can you see this roller coaster ride that Paul is going through emotionally here? For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. 
You know, I sent it. I, I thought I was being obedient to the Lord. I prayed. Just like we pray before we teach, I encourage all ladies and men, when we teach different things, that our prayer would be for this group of people for this time. Lord, what do you have for them? And I believe that was Paul's heart as he wrote this, this hard, painful letter. Lord, I, I'm trusting that these are, these, these are the things you want to say. This is how you want to say it. And I'm going to send it trusting you. But, oh, the anguish because of his love for them, because it mattered how they responded. So he's saying, I, oh, I regretted it or I doubted it or I questioned it. But it had an effect the Lord was good, so I don't really regret it, right? Even if I made you sorry with my letter, I'm sorry it hurt, but I don't regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, but only for a little while. How many of you guys have experienced that? Somebody said something that hurt your feelings, but you knew was true. You know, maybe that the Lord sent them or used them. Maybe you didn't like the way they said it. I've experienced that many times. Um, but God used somebody else to... Get you reoriented towards him. Uh, Next verse, verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. You guys know what that big church word means, right? Change in direction. Really, it's a change of mind about Jesus. I used to disagree with God. Now I agree with God that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. So this sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Check out this next verse. Those of you that have ever done prison ministry will get this, verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You get, you get the difference there? Godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow? Some of you guys are shaking your heads yes. Can I get an answer from you guys? What's the difference between those things? Godly sorrow, what's that? Sorry what? Sorry that you've offended God. That's an awesome, that's, hold on. Better than this. Sorry that you've offended God. So real, real repentance, right? Real anguish that, I didn't, I didn't live how God would want me to be. How about worldly sorrow? Sorry you got caught. There's my prison ministry reference. Absolutely. Sorry I have to suffer the consequences from this. Or maybe even sorry I hurt your feelings, but no real sorrow or regret of my actions. You know? Godly sorrow produces repentance, a change of heart, a change in mind, a change in direction, leading to something, salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world, oh, I'm sorry, I got a consequence, leads to death, produces death. For observe, verse 11, for observe this very thing, that if you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. The slate has been made clean. Guys, there's been true repentance and true change. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong. 
nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. That even in this, even in all this, all these accusations about Paul's ministry and whether he was really an apostle or not, Paul's heart was not about his ministry or how that looked. It was always about the people that he was pouring into, that he was loving, that he was ministering to. That's what minister is supposed to mean, right? Servant. And Paul was all about it. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I want you guys to see that. Paul is saying, Paul sent this letter. These guys were hurt, but they received it. They received it as, as a confrontation from God, and their life changed, and it led to positive things. And Titus who, Titus, I, can you imagine him? He gets this letter from Paul. You think you guys get nervous when you do stuff in front of people. Titus is delivering this letter that he knows he's delivering because the last one wasn't received really well. And this one's sorrowful and painful and, and harder. So he's already got to be leery of these guys. He's seen Paul lay down his life for them and, and love them and, and he's got to deliver this letter to him. And the letters there weren't like, hey, let me just rip this open. Look, it was read like this to everybody. And Titus is in their presence. But it says, therefore, we've been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus. Titus was there and he got to witness the change. Got to witness the receiving of this and the correction. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I'll tell you, that was one of the coolest things about yesterday being down in Machias has seen lives that have been absolutely changed by Jesus. Not even like improved, but therefore if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. All things are made new. Old things are gone. Titus got to see that. True change, true godly repentance. And it encouraged him. It, it, it challenged him because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you verse 14 says for if anything for if in anything i have boasted to him about you i'm not ashamed that means paul was telling titus when he went out don't be worried they're gonna receive it these are good people you know they love jesus they're just off track or this this guy is has let them off course but they're they're good people i'm not ashamed about boasting about you, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. Paul could rejoice in that. Verse 15 says, And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. Seeing your, Titus goes to deliver this uh, letter, and then seeing their response is a testimony to Titus. And it says, His affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Now, if you know Paul or you read any commentaries, a lot of people say that's Paul's sarcasm. I have full faith and confidence of you messed up knuckleheads. Um, and I don't, I don't think it was that at all. I think that was genuine encouragement from their pastor. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. God is with you guys. And, and you're going to hear this and receive this. Um, it's actually a good breaking point. I don't want to break your hearts. It's Mother's Day. It's a Bruins game. 
I'm given a deadline. Did our moms get our um, the big Jumungo candy bars? I tried, ladies. I tried to get you the long stem Slim Jims that we get for the guys. And Nicole said those are just for the meatheads. And uh, I don't know why she thinks of the men in this church that way, but that's why we need to gather, okay? Let's pray. We'll end there. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for our moms. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. And uh, Lord, we're grateful for your word. And Lord, we read this, and it's really just kind of like driving by and and uh, taking in a scene in somebody else's life. You get a pastor right into a church and this big confrontation, but it's, it's sort of like it doesn't involve us. Uh, but Lord, there's lessons here for us, and, and one of them is uh, how, how much we matter in the lives of others. And Lord, we pray for your work in our lives and, and all of that and the work of... Um, in other people's lives, but so often your plan, your plan A, is to use us. Uh, and Lord, one of the one of the tools this enemy uses is to isolate us and separate us and cause divisions and all that. And Lord, would you give us the boldness and the love for one another to uh, be able to confront and be able to receive and and the willingness to testify, Lord, of your goodness and grace in our lives, Lord, even if it's a uh, self-deprecating or revealing of scars that you'd use the mess in our own lives to encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters. Lord, we just want to bless you with our lives. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.